Hello. Thank you again for joining us. My name is Mary Tarsha, and I'm here again with Dr. Darsha Narvais. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, you're welcome. So today we're going to be talking about your theory, which is triune ethics meta theory. So Dr. Narvais, could you tell us a little bit about this theory? Yeah, let me tell you first about how I came, uh, or the kind of the ingredients that bring, that come together in the theory. Yes. Uh, and it seems to me we have to make create theories that are uh, cross-cutting, interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary disciplinary now, especially in psychology, uh, if we're trying to Absolutely. solve problems and, uh, and figure out who we are as human beings, where we should be going, and, and so on. So the criteria that I use in trinethics meta-theory, I call it a meta-theory now, uh, we're talking about our... Uh, my book from 2014 called Neurobiology and the Development of Human Morality, Evolution, Culture, and Wisdom. And in there, I didn't say meta-theory. I just called it theory. But it's really a meta-theory. Absolutely. And so the it integrates information of various kinds. So it's got evolutionary roots mm -hmm. in how our brain uh, evolved and how it functions. So it's got neurobiological evidence that's rooted really in neuroendocrine and emotion systems primarily, but also the kind of the functioning of the whole body. And uh, it looks at, it uh, describes optimal and suboptimal functioning at the neurobiological level, discusses adaptive function, why the things that are in the theory work, why people act a certain way. It's because it helps them uh, adapt to their own uh, living circumstances. So it's that we call it now functional adaptation, mm. not mm -hmm. evolutionary adaptation, which is a different thing. That means your your ancestors or your descendants outcompete uh, their rivals, and that's natural selection. But um, trying ethics meta theory would say that if you do, if you have a suboptimal set of neurobiological developmental pieces, you are actually going to be less evolutionarily adaptive, but we're not really talking about that. <laughs> so anyway, and then other information that's integrated is clinical evidence from what happens, uh, what people, uh, how their functioning works when things don't go right Sure, sure. in early life in particular. And then the cultural evidence, we look at cultures where um, the evolved nest, for example, which is supports um, optimal moral development and optimal ethics. We look at the cultures that provide the evolved nest because they are providing what our species evolved hmm. to need to grow mm -hmm. optimally. Mm -hmm. And their morality looks quite different from uh, places that don't provide the nest where you then develop suboptimally, essentially. Uh, yeah, so these are, just to review, kind of bring this all together. These were criteria that you used to help formulate the triune ethics meta theory, which has been driving your research now for several years. And so you're using criteria from across disciplines and really integrating all of that. So it's not that you just came up with this theory on a whim or based upon uh, some cons specific concern, but you're really trying to integrate uh, across multiple disciplines. And you are doing that by using some important criteria. That's right. Yes. So now we can just review quickly what those, why is it called triune? Absolutely. And that's because it's based in part on Paul McLean's triune brain theory, which is useful for considering the global mindsets we can hmm. get into uh, based on what's happening, our reactions uh, at multiple levels, and that guide our behavior. Mm -hmm. 
So w one set is uh, called the safety or security ethic or self-protectionism, mm -hmm. and that's rooted in what we're born with, these survival systems, which we've discussed before. And uh, when they take over your mind because mm -hmm. you're scared to death or uh, sure. anxious or angry, they filter everything for you, your perception, your what you see as possible actions you can take, your processing of information, mm -hmm. your uh, mobilization for action. It, all that's affected by the mindset you're in. And so when you're in a survival mode, a self-protectionist mode, you're really not going to be open-hearted or open-minded mm -hmm. uh, because that's just not the way the neurobiological structures are functioning at that moment. Yes, and your theory is emphasizing that it's the lower part, the lower brainstem that's being really activated during that time, right? And that's how you're integrating the neurobiological aspect. So we've all experienced those feelings before or have been in that mindset before. But I think it is really helpful that when you're in that mindset to have that awareness, okay, this part of my brain is being activated at the moment. Right, and so to learn to move away from mm. being dominated by that orientation. Mm -hmm. It helps to step back, which you can learn through meditative practices and all, uh, to learn to kind of notice these things, these feelings that come and go, uh, these kind of selves or mindsets that come and go, and to then not be caught up in them. Oh, to learn to divorce or to detach from those... <gasps> panic uh, or, you know, sure. anxiety-driven uh, <clears throat> mindset so that you can actually be more socially attuned to others and more cooperative and collaborative. Hmm. So it's really when we're having those experiences of the brain stem, the lower limbic system uh, being really activated, we're in that safety ethic. And then once we're able to be aware of that, we're able to then shift, as you say, to a different mindset or to be using a different part of our brain. Right. Yes, right. And so the second kind of ethic or mindset that I uh, discuss, I call the engagement hmm. ethic, which is the relationally attuned, other-oriented um, it's not like you lose yourself completely, but you are open and you're ready to collaborate or cooperate with the other because you're not panicking. You're not caught up in your own <gasps> sense of, you know, anxiety and distress and worried about vanishing or just being destroyed in some fashion because that's really deeply um, what's happened is mm -hmm. in that if you have a disposition for that, you're, you've been conditioned to actually go into that panic mode hmm. uh, easily. And uh, it changes the blood flow and, and what systems are operating and, and what genes are being expressed at that moment. Right, right. And so we want to have that evolved nest uh, providing the nourishment that the neurobiological systems that are developing in early childhood need uh, so that you are developing those relational attunement capacities, which rely on a well-functioning vagal, vagal tone or vagus nerve, uh, well-functioning neurotransmitter systems, and so on. All sorts of systems are shaped in that early life, mm -hmm. and then they guide you for the rest of your life unless something else happens. Yeah, that's so fascinating. I mean, I think we all can relate to that, having those experiences where there is relational attunement or there is not relational attunement where you're speaking and maybe the other person is so panicked they're not able to engage with you about something, or maybe you're on the other side of that conversation and it's just difficult to 
to relate or to engage. So I think that's really helpful, putting those two next to each other, help us see the difference between them and how understanding that there are differences between the safety ethic and the engagement ethic, how the differences between those can help us uh, foster better communication, right, and uh, problem solving. Yes, right, and getting along with others (laughs) in in, uh, positive ways. And then there's a third, right? Uh Yeah, the third uh, kind of global mindset that we can get into is is rooted in one or the other of these uh, basic systems. So our Hmm. self-protectionist system, if we... Uh, that's the emotions that can drive what we call now the imagination ethic or Mm -hmm. the engagement uh, orientation, the love and play, playfulness with others. That can also drive what I call the engagement ethic. So the engagement ethic is... is able to, uh, well, it's rooted in our abstract thinking and our ability to think outside the present moment. So it's about imagination. And so the protectionism, the safety ethic we've been talking about, the engagement ethic, these are face-to-face kind of orientations. I see. The imagination ethic then builds on one of those, one or the other, and then enables us to abstract and plan and think ahead and outside the present moment. It can be fueled then either by self-protectionism. Mm-hmm. Well, how can I dominate this person? Uh, or how can I, you know, escape this person, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, or this uh, situation in the future, that kind of thing. Or if it's that's the protectionist orientation or the engagement ethic is about um, in uh, when it's uh, rooted uh, partnered with imagination mm-hmm. is a communal imagination. So it's how do we get along together in the future how are we um to get it's beyond just you and i right it's you and i together and something else beyond that right so the safety relational protection orientation is it's about me and Mm. my stuff and me and mine right the engagement relational attunement orientation is it's about being with you Mm. it's much more you know uh relational and then the imagination ethic builds on one or the other but it's about more than me and you now that can be either in a relational positive Mm -hmm. way or this kind of protective us against them Mm. kind of way Mm. right so both of those feed into the imagination what type of imagination that um, you're carrying into your daily life and your relationships or workplace or that right. kind of thing, right? Yeah, that's very interesting how they're all connect- connected and build upon one another. Right. So there's layers and layers, uh, and there's many ways to be, many selves here. And I've just identified three basic kind of overarching categories to use. So the, the self-protectionist kinds of things, the relational attunement kinds of mindsets or ways of being, and then the imaginative, uh, abstracting kinds of ways of being. And so there's lots, the Buddhists have, I don't know, dozens of selves, Hmm. uh, and they they divide them much more finely than what I'm talking about. Uh, But some of them we could talk about here. Uh, Sure. sure. So in terms of the relational self-protection, it's really a hardened heart Hmm. or an absent heart. That Hmm. means your emotions have either shut down, you're guarding yourself, you're bunkering yourself, or you actually are just iced up. Hmm. So in the face-to-face moment, you're going to be 
reactive and seek dominance in the moment. Mm. So show that you're a little smarter than that person, a little cuter than that person, a little something more <laughs> mm. than that other person mm. you're with. Uh, that's the uh, controlling type of reaction mm. because that worked in babyhood to be dominant. To uh, You were encouraged somehow to show dominance and then you got your needs met. Or you can withdraw and dissociate. Perhaps you were left to cry extensively and just gave up after a while. Then you learn to just not feel, not be in your body, not emote, not even pay attention to your emotions and shut them down. And so you can just be compliant in your morality, a kind of vacancy, really. Uh, and if this gets into um, <clears throat> the more group orientation, mm -hmm. you can get into a mob morality. Mm, that, I was just about to ask that, how this relates to group. But I think that's really helpful to have those almost like flags of letting us know when we're in one of these ethics or not. So that's very helpful to have a concrete, you know, question that we're asking. It, it's all about me. It's mine. And then also, do you have a hardened heart or an absent heart? Yeah, that's right. Very so yeah. And uh, these, this kind of face to face Self-protectionism is about either pushing people away or controlling them, right? Hmm. It's so you can't, you're not comfortable being with people because you didn't develop all sorts of micro skills and, and various neurobiological systems that allow you to have that um, flexibility, hmm. flexible attunement with others. And so people go to therapy to, to sure, learn how to build sure. these things, right? Yeah, so yeah. later on, if, if you're missing them. Right. That's really helpful. And then with the engagement, you know, you talk about it's all about you. Um, and then if you could just take us through how that relates to also in, within a group and um, in terms of empathy, too. We haven't talked about that. But how does that relate to empathy? So it, the relational attunement is indicative indicative of your ability to be empathic with uh. the other so it's showing that you are resonating with the emotions of the other and you're able to communicate them uh, appropriately and signal back and forth and so you're able to um, be uh, in attunement right. with in the attunement. other yeah, that's one. right. Yeah. And, and it's not that you're so focused on yourself, but you're there, you're present emotionally. Mm -hmm. And how does that relate to a group? So if you have a group experiencing this, right, um, there's isolation based on attraction, or could you explain us through that a little bit? What, that, what do you mean by that companionship? Yeah, so there's something... Uh, uh, this is our heritage, is to be attuned to, to others. Now you can get stuck in only your own in-group mm. if you didn't have enough exposure to a variety, a, a diverse kind of set of relationships. Perhaps you only had your mother in early life instead of a community of caregivers. Then you tend to be more focused in on and only comfortable with one kind of way of being, which is actually detrimental in a multicultural oh, diverse sure. world right <laughs> but helpful if you're only seeing you know, hanging around the same kind of people all the time then mm -hmm. you you have the capacity to be relationally attuned but only within that small group hmm. so nowadays that's not very helpful it is not helpful right it's, especially living in the united states a very diverse population okay that makes a lot of sense and then moving to um imagination Yes. So if we go back to the relational protectionism, okay. mm -hmm. self-protectionism, safety, when that is uh, fueled 
or enhanced, I should say, enhanced by imagination, then if you're in this kind of oppositional, controlling, dominating mode, you're going to be into righteous morality. You want to impose your way on others. You're going to, you know, in a way be angry and aggressive. Maybe you don't see it that way and maybe it's really subtle, but you will want to uh, and you feel right about it, you know, mm. imposing your way of being on everyone else because it's the right one. Mm -hmm. So again, it shows the inability to be flexibly attuned and cooperative and, you know, creating a new way of being with others. Because mm -hmm. when we face, when we uh, are with others, we have the opportunity to create a new culture between us. So almost a third culture, a mm -hmm. third way of being. And that's the flexibleness that our drove our species success hmm. is that sociality the ability to get along with others so if you get rigid and you get controlling you're not flexibly attuned you're not able to um, create co-construct a new society a new way of being right right and i think that as you're talking i'm thinking about that really feeds into our understanding and perspective of justice of, of what really is right so if you're in the state of righteousness right as you're calling it mm -hmm. um yeah that does impact our perspective on what should be done what can be done right? and it, it's very pharisees sadducees uh, mm. ways of being that jesus criticized right because right. they thought they were so righteous following all the rules they thought were the most important and they sure. thought everyone else was you know immoral <laughs> so would you say it's kind of black and white that type of thinking yes. again it's too inflexible Yes. So you hold on to, you latch onto a script, mm -hmm. a set of rules, and then that's morality. And anybody who threatens that is, <gasps> no, mm -hmm. you got to get rid of them, get them out of the picture somehow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other way of, uh, of being uh, inflexible with your imagination is to build on that detachment, dissociation that you learned and practice in babyhood to not feel your feelings. And uh, this detached kind of imagination is your... I call it iced morality also. Mm -hmm. You don't have a sense of your relational connections or commitments or responsibility. And so then you can think, dream up anything, dream up mass uh, weapons of mass destruction uh, and I have see. no sense of any responsibility for life mm. uh, that's destroyed based on what your actions are. Mm. I see. Wow. And then in terms of you know, you also talk about wisdom, right, and how uh, building upon um, the engagement ethic with imagination, you're able to integrate all of these in a more um, exponentiated way, I would say. Is that correct? Uh, kind of trying to look at it in terms of the positive side, right? We've talked about the two negative sides in terms of imagination, but then what is the positive Yes. Yeah, so if you, when you have the a well-functioning neurobiological structures, and you've had a lot of practice growing up with social relationships and lots of support, you are able then, as an adult, to show a, a companionship hmm. morality where you're harmonious with others, and you're able to let go of yourself and your ego, and to actually be willing to give and receive and. Uh, keep the flow of life going, and you become more communal, and you mm. collaborate with all human beings, uh, if we just focus on human beings. 
Yeah, just one last question before you end. Is it hard? So if you have the right, uh, the, the characteristics of the nest have been met in early life and you're developing and progressing, is wisdom difficult? Is it difficult to be flexible in the moment and to be able to receive and, and that kind of thing? Because this sounds lovely as you're talking about it, but I also imagine that some of our listeners might find that incredibly daunting or, or challenging. Well, I think uh, we have all sorts of, our culture has to support us in our wisdom. Mm. And if the culture keeps pressing you to be anxious and fearful of others that are different or, you know, think about yourself and getting more stuff or uh, uh. people are out to get you in some fashion and, and they keep uh, activating your threat response, it's going to be hard to be wise. Uh, so see. it matters where you are, what situations you are, what you pay attention to. So you want to select environments, um, friendships, activities, books, websites mm -hmm. that support media, and movies. Yeah, media <laughs> yes, that support a sense of connection, mm. a sense of of uh, trust. And if if you're immersed in kind of the opposite, it, it'll be harder to get to that wisdom. And so it is really important to go back to what we've talked about before, which is that cycle of competitive detachment, which unfortunately, a culture can promote, mm -hmm. uh, where the adults are very distracted with all these other things, getting stuff, working, you know, whatever it is. And then they don't provide the nest to the young and to each other. They don't provide social supports. And so they need to build people with a degraded neurobiology, and then their wisdom is really hard mm. to come by mm. then. So we have to remember that we, our heritage is of, of cooperative companionship that's providing the nest to the young creating and fostering then a neurobiology that's very flexibly attuned, uh, creating adults then that have well-being and, and le uh, uh, grow into wisdom. And it takes decades and decades mm. to do that. Mm -hmm. And then they provide a, a society, keep a society going that provides a good cycle of, of growth and life. Well, that is a wonderful piece of wisdom to end on as we hear. Um, thank you so much for explaining to us the triune ethics meta theory and what the three ethics that it helps explain. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs>